0: Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janita Christofaro and wanted to give you just a little heads up. As you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Dougie. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast, and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Dear Dougie Podcast, produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children in Portland, Oregon. I'm Brendan Connolly.
0: And I'm Janet DeCristofero. Thank you for joining us today. Our podcast is the result of 30 years of stories and talking with families and kids and teens who have had someone in their life die. And after so many years of listening to what they've shared with us, we wanted a chance to bring their knowledge, their learning out to the larger community. So, this podcast is a way to open up the often avoided conversation about grief and about loss. And even though grief is something we all experience during our lives, when it does happen, most of us find ourselves unsure of what to do, how to feel, how to support one another. So, whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we're here to help um, talk through all of the issues that might come up.
1: So, this episode seems... To it it points right at the griever, it seems like today, the stuff we'll be talking about. How kind of how identity feels like it shifts and changes a little bit, is that right?
0: Right. We're looking at sort of that who am I now now that someone really important in my life has died and how how have I changed? Behaviorally, emotionally, uh, looking at the ways that people might change what they value in life, what they consider to be a priority. Um, So, some people can think of it as like a secondary loss. I don't know if that, that seems to make it sound like it's a less than loss. I think it's just as equal, but there's, you know, we're looking at the loss of the person, what we miss about them, what they meant to us in our lives. And then we're looking at how have we changed? What are maybe some of the things about us now that we miss how we used to be in the past, and also, what are the things that we've learned about ourselves that we really value?
1: Is that also, uh, does that also point at the loss of whatever relationship was between two people?
0: Definitely, right. So the relationship that you had with that person, how you identified in the world as being part of that relationship. So it could be the specifics of the person, say it was, um, you know, your partner who died, uh-huh. so you missed the specifics of who they are, but then you may also be grieving being part of a couple, and what did that mean, and what did that mean for your role in the world?
1: Yeah, your identity. Yeah, yeah, That I see that. Yeah. Hmm.
0: There's a book that comes to mind, and it was this quote from this book that really kind of generated this whole podcast idea for me, was Joan Didion, who's a very well-known author of uh, both fiction and nonfiction books, and her husband died very suddenly, uh, and she wrote a memoir of the first year after his death. She entitled it The Year of Magical Thinking, Hmm. and in there she writes, We are imperfect mortal beings, aware of that mortality even as we push it away, failed by our very complication, so wired that when we mourn our losses, we also mourn, for better or for worse, ourselves, as we were, as we are no longer, and as we will one day not be at all." So that really got me thinking just of all the stories that I hear from people in our groups talking about missing the person, missing the life with the person, but then also missing who they thought they were and who they planned on being in the future.
1: Yeah. And I could probably go down a long rabbit hole about how amazed I am that people can write things like that, <laughs> you know?
0: Right. In the midst of such emotional turmoil to put their experience into words that resonate oftentimes so deeply for millions of other people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So on to some of the the more concrete pieces of this, because I think, I think it could be a... Um, a real kind of rambling reflection on the philosophical nature of self and and all of that. But, uh, <laughs> so we're not going to go. Sorry today. <laughs> what do you what do you got for uh, some things people can maybe maybe latch onto as identifiers of uh, some changes that they might experience?
0: Well, I think it's helpful to start just with those very um, physical, concrete changes that can happen particularly immediately after a death and these are ones that if you're in a support role or even if you're someone who's just curious and listening to the podcast if you can imagine a time in your life when you've gone through tremendous stress whether it was from grief or some other element in your life and and brendan you might be able to call to mind a a moment of a particular high level of stress in your life and what happens for people is, especially in grief, we think emotions, right? It's going to affect me emotionally. I'm going to feel sad. I'm going to feel angry. I'm going to maybe feel numb and not feel anything at all. But so often grief is this, you know, it's very holistic experience that it affects us on so many levels. Yeah. And those are the changes I think that can really surprise people. So I don't know for you, but if I'm going through a time of a lot of stress, my sleep goes totally haywire.
1: Yeah. Yeah, my, so, my yeah, a little bit that way. I mean, I wake up more often, and I, you know, I can't turn my mind off. But it feels like my emotional range gets um, lim- more limited. Like I'm not as broad. I don't have I don't have a capacity to be as broad of any having as broad an emotional range. If that makes sense, and it feels so like. It really f- yeah, everything just kind of kind of the, the walls come in a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're in this
0: sort of like tunnel of like maybe there's these two really strong emotions that you are experiencing, maybe yeah. some simultaneously or bouncing back and forth. So, yeah, so we can have a, for some people, that emotional range can get limited. For other people, they may be experiencing emotions they had never even conceived of before. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so that can be happening. And, and when that's going on, you know, so waking up early in the morning is a really common one for people. Um, I call it the, uh, the the mental spin cycle of the washing washing yeah. machine. You wake yeah. up and to start thinking through all the things. Um, a lot of people struggle with just completing really simple tasks, things that they used to be able to do without even thinking about them. Suddenly, the thought of doing laundry is completely overwhelming. Um, and you've got people who can't be alone at all, want to be around people all the time because it's just much to not be um, interacting with others and then people on the other end of the spectrum who are like I need to go in my room and shut the door and I really wish all the people who are now invading my house would leave me alone.
1: So I wonder is that just do you see if that is uh, keyed to introversion or extroversion I mean if somebody's an extrovert do they do they gravitate away from being alone and then and vice versa or, or is it just all over the map?
0: You know, I'm not sure I would have to give everyone an introvert, extrovert test when they came to group to know, but just based on people's anecdotal recounting of what it's like for them, in this beginning phase, it seems like a lot of people do revert to whatever comes naturally for them but given the nature of what happens in people's lives when someone dies especially immediately after there's they don't often have a choice about that so maybe someone tends to be more introverted they find a lot of um support and solace in being by themselves but so many people are coming to their house or calling them or wanting to be part of what's happening so they may be pushed past what comes naturally for them yeah, And then on the other side, later on, you know, we've talked about this in group with quite a few people who they maybe used to be more introverted and are now finding themselves, because grief itself can feel so isolating, that it, they're like, "Whoa, I really need to be connecting with people more. <laughs> so they're having to force themselves to kind of go way outside their comfort zone and be more social uh, and learn to be more connected to people, because perhaps the person who died was that one really close person, and now they're having to kind of um, – Broaden that and make more connections with people.
1: Yeah, I would imagine if if you I, th- speaking for myself, I'm am a little bit I, I skew towards the introversion, and I imagine that uh, I would start to feel uh, like almost a secondary or tertiary anxiety around uh, having to deal with more people when I don't want to, you know. Because my emotional mm-hmm. range gets limited, and I don't, and, and I just would like to be left alone for a while to sort out my my brain, and and then there's all these people talking to me, and I would get anxious about who's going to show up, and am I ready, and am I prepared, can I talk, and you have this kind of tertiary anxiety, you know?
0: Right. All these extra things of like, how am I, I going to behave and how am I going to interact with everybody else's behavior yeah. in the midst of this? And so that's where, you know, if you're someone who's in a support role, you can really be helpful. If you, if you know the person who's grieving pretty well and can get in there and say, hey, how's that going? Are you freaking out about the fact that there's going to be all these people at the memorial service? How can I help? Yeah. How can I maybe buffer for you? What's the signal you and I can have where I can screen, set a screen, and you can escape to the restroom?
1: See, that's a really so – that's help, That's a helpful uh, note because I – this is – I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I was on the airplane the other day, and, and I don't really like being on airplanes. I'm not totally phobic, but I just don't like being in a metal tube. And I get a little, uh, you know, I get a little hyperventilating, and I have to just kind of go into my breath and just focus and all that and i get a little anxious and, and the thing that helps me the least of all is if somebody says hey brendan how you, are you feeling anxious mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, in the moment that. that
0: doesn't feel very good right
1: but like you just said you know how, what what trigger can i what, what's a, a keyword that i can that you can say that i know that i need to do a thing you know that sort of thing really concrete helpfulness rather than this more abstract How are you feeling now? Which takes you Mm -hmm. back to my anxiety now, you know.
0: And the importance there of talking about strategizing when you're not in the midst of the emotional overwhelm. Yes. So if you're already feeling anxious and then someone says, how are you? What can I do? You're like, oh, my gosh, there's too many things coming at me once. But if you had a conversation with someone who was going to be on the plane with you two days before when you weren't feeling it yet to say, okay, here's what I think might be helpful, yeah. maybe a nonverbal thing, is squeeze my shoulder, hand me a book, give me a payday candy bar, like whatever's going to work for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and that's really helpful with kids too, you know, when kids are kind of riled up, it's really hard for them to say, this is what I would need right now. But if you've got a plan in place, it can go a long way to reassure the, both the person who's going to be experiencing the emotional overwhelm and the person in the support role.
1: Yeah. So so we'll go so, ahead. so those
0: are some of the things that people are you know may really experience early on. So you've got your physical changes. Your body might feel a lot different than it normally does to you. A lot of people will have like headaches, stomach aches, general body aches, mm. feeling tense but tired at the same time. Um, some people find their they're uh, a lot crankier than usual. That small little things that they used to be able to say, oh, eh, whatever, small frustration
1: yeah. turns
0: into a really big thing. Um, or the opposite, like, I can't believe I used to spend so much time being frustrated with traffic when, like, that, in the grander scheme of things, that doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. So those it are some of the things at your perspective, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and then as people, as the loss continues, right, so the immediate physical after effects start to fade or shift in some way, we start to look at all the ways that the loss can change us as people who are grieving, right? So we miss the person. We miss who they were, what they contributed to our lives. You know, our, our mom dies and we just miss how amazing her advice was or our child dies. And we miss that curiosity she brought to our lives. And then we move into like missing who we were when that person was with us. So, you know, if I'm someone who my mom gave really sage advice and I'm looking towards trying to pick a college, I might find that I'm way more anxious about that decision than I might have been because I don't have my mom to go to. She doesn't, I can't go to her for advice. Uh, or, you know, I'm a parent and I find myself not getting ex- as excited for taking my children to the science museum because my daughter, who was so curious, won't be with us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then there's just sort of this general missing of, like, who I used to be. And in our groups, this sounds a lot like, you know, I'm not I'm just not the same person. And I used to be able to go out with my friends and not think twice about it. Like, it might be a fun time. It would be kind of boring. But now I'm that person who I don't know if I'm going to suddenly have a tearful meltdown in the middle of everything. So it's kind of scary to make plans to go out.
1: That doesn't seem – I'm probably naive, but that doesn't seem like a – a permanent change to a person, necessarily. Like, that would, wouldn't would be the next 20 years, or... You know what I mean? Or is that... might just being crass? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's going to be different for everyone, and yeah. I think for sure these things are going to be probably most intense at the beginning. Yeah. But, uh, you know, movies are a big one that people talk about in group. Huh. like, you know, sometimes i got to preview the movie, because I don't know... Before I'd go, and as long as I knew it wasn't a horror movie, I figured I'd probably be okay. Yeah. But... Now I got to find out if somebody dies in the movie because mm. I just right now I can't handle it and yeah. how long that lasts for people. And people may be like, you know, I used to love horror movies and now I don't watch those anymore. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes things will change, but it's, it's getting to know who you are and that process can be unsettling because you're, you're, you're different now than who you were and the things you could rely on about yourself may be changing in some way.
1: Yeah. It probably feels like the ground is shifting beneath your feet and you, and you need to find your mm-hmm. new footing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And then you've got thinking ahead, right? So we grieve who the person was, who they were in our life. And then we also grieve what's life going to be like in the future and all the things I don't get to experience with this person. So there's our more stereotypical milestones, graduating, marriage, childbirth, buying a house. But there's lots of other smaller, maybe not smaller, but more unique and individual milestones Hmm. for people that they, it changes because the person's not there with them. Yep. Um, And then one of the things that comes up uh, that if you're in a support role can be helpful to think about, and sometimes this can be just a simple question like, how many kids are in your family? Or, um, you know, what's, who are your closest friends? So when somebody dies, people can really struggle with how do I identify myself internally? And how do I express who I am to the world? Am I still somebody's sister? Uh Am I still a parent? Am I still a wife, husband, partner? all yeah. those different things people can really struggle with that how do I answer people's kind of just casual get to know you questions when there's this monumental shift in my life
1: yeah wow that's interesting I hadn't thought about that before that would that would really that would be uh, a real change because right? you really internalize some of that stuff you know being a brother or a sister or a parent or a partner um, right and then, and then and am so I still yeah
0: Am I still, and, and do I have a right to be? And I think that's where, as a support person, you can come in to say, Of course, you have a right to be however you want to identify yourself. Some people want to say, Yes, I am definitely still a sister. And other people are like, No, that's not who I am anymore in the world. But letting people self define that rather than feeling like they have to identify a certain way to make other people comfortable.
1: Yeah. Huh.
0: And then. You know, we go a little further down, not that this is a—it's going to unfold in any kind of time process way, but just looking at another layer of, uh, you know, who am I in my life? Like, maybe before the death, I was someone who was very, very driven at work. Like, work and achieving professional goals were of utmost importance to me. And then somebody dies in our life, and maybe that's true, and we keep going on that path, and sometimes it's like, Whoa! Wait a minute. That's not important to me anymore. I yeah. want to be a kind of person who does this, and and being conscious of it and allowing, having your chance yourself a chance to realize those shifts is really helpful because sometimes people are like, God, I just, I just don't like going to work anymore, and I don't know what's going on, and then to find that underlying level of like, oh, it's not as much of a priority for me as it was before.
1: Yeah. Well, when you and- talk about like the ground shifting beneath your feet, I think that really would. Uh, Had the potential to bring everything into play even the things mm-hmm. you don't expect like work or whatever
0: and with teens this can be really a big piece for them because they are struggling with a lot of these existential questions that most of us think are saved for adults yeah. and they're still having to go to school and still having to figure out what are their next steps in life so that can be adding a lot of different layers of consideration and as a as a support person for a teen, helping them think through those different things of like, I don't care about algebra anymore. Like, okay, I totally get that. Like, it's hard to think algebra means anything when you're dealing with grief. And what are some of your bigger goals in life? How does maybe getting yourself to class relate to that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that makes, I mean, this is a whole different podcast episode for sure, but just that idea of uh, child development and having something like a parent die in their life and the ground moving beneath their feet all while they're trying to figure out who they are in the first place and what the world is all about man oh man that Mm -hmm. this is so much uh complexity on top of complexity you know
0: yeah and then sometimes just the more um day-to-day changes too of you know people have anxiety is a big one for a lot of people right maybe before they were didn't consider themselves a very anxious person and now they have a lot more awareness of uh the fragility of life and how things can happen and so that can be something people are really grappling with like how can i have this knowledge and still get up in the morning and drive to work and do all these things that now seem super dangerous so there's that acknowledgement that can be kind of overwhelming for people um And then, you know, like you said, some of the more bigger questions of, am I someone who now has a lot more compassion for people because I too have suffered something uh, very challenging? Or am I someone who's like, you know, I just don't have a lot of tolerance for some of this day-to-day drama stuff. (laughs) I'm just not going to get involved in it because there's bigger things to think about.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. That's a lot of, that's a lot of things. And we'll, I'll just note that these kind of lists that, that Jana has been reciting here and talking about, uh, we'll have that stuff up on the show notes. So if you want to go back and and revisit and look at that again, uh, it'll be there.
0: And just a few questions I wanted to leave people with. So, you know, this is a lot of stuff that we're talking about. And how do I make this personal to me? How do, how do I utilize knowing that these shifts are happening, I'm not alone in these shifts and like, what do I do now? So some of the questions that people in our groups are kind of grappling with that may be helpful for people to visit in their own time is, you know, how do you see yourself now? How do you see the world? Which of those changes do you value? Which ones are you, um, uh, help you feel more connected to yourself? Uh, What strengths about yourself have you discovered in the process? And where are the places in your life where maybe you need additional support? Maybe the places that have become closed off or cut off in some way. And then what parts of yourself do you really miss and want to recultivate? So as you mentioned earlier, like, is this a permanent thing? So for someone who says, here's a change I've noticed, it's interfering in my life, and I would like to get back to being able to socialize spontaneously. What are the steps you can take to re-engage in that way?
1: That's helpful. We'll have those questions also up on the show notes. uh, So you can go back and and look at those and reflect on them a little bit as is helpful for you. Jenna, thanks. Um, Thanks, Brendan. And podcast people out in the world, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Dear Dougie podcast. And to learn more about the Dougie Center and to listen to past episodes of the podcast, find us at Dougie.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Our username is the Dougie Center, all one word. And we want to answer your questions about grief and loss, so send them our way at help at Dougie.org and be sure to put podcast, the word podcast, somewhere in the subject line, and that'll help us filter the email. And join us again next week for another episode of the Dear Dougie Podcast. See you later, Jana.
0: Bye, Brendan. Mm.